All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 40 as we continue our look at the life of Joseph together on Sunday in a series we've entitled, The Lord is With You. And the title of my message today is, An Appointment in Prison. Throughout the Bible, you'll find that individuals have these unique appointments designed and architected, set up and executed by God. Where God does some of the most profound things in the most peculiar places. And again, when we discussed a few weeks back about the issue of perspective, whenever we read a narrative throughout the Bible, there are always various perspectives that must be considered to fully understand the impact of that narrative. There's God's perspective, there's the protagonist's perspective, there's the antagonist's perspective, etc. And in and through all of the life of Joseph, we have to keep in mind that he at times did not know and understand what God was doing. He found himself in various places that seemed to contradict the initial dreams in which he was given concerning the issue of him being exalted above his family members, above his brothers, even above his father. And since having that dream and then sharing that dream with his older brothers, which of course, went over big, as we remember reading. He was first thrown into a pit. He was then sold into slavery. He was brought to Egypt. He was then brought into the home. He was as a slave to the captain of the guards, Potiphar. He served there faithfully. The Lord demonstrated that the Lord was with him by the prosperity in which Potiphar uh, experienced with Joseph being there in his home. Joseph then became a steward of all that Potiphar had, to the point that Potiphar didn't even know what he had, except for the food that he ate on a daily basis. However, though, Potiphar's wife had different ideas. Looking at Joseph, as the Bible says, with longing eyes, you can only imagine what that means, threw herself upon him several times, began to try to seduce him in various ways over a long period of time. Joseph resisted time and time and time again. But then it occurred that at one of those times, she grabbed his robe And the only thing that he could do is simply run away, and by doing so, well, he left his robe in her hand. At that point, when she realized that she had been rejected so thoroughly, she turned on Joseph, began to yell for the men of the home to come, and to then falsely accuse Joseph of forcing himself upon her. Which, of course, then led to Potiphar, her husband, becoming angry with Joseph, and sentencing him to prison. And now we find Joseph in prison. It's only gone from bad to worse, hasn't it? And yet, throughout it all, God reminds Joseph through various means that he is with him, that God is with him. And in and through it all, he is never out of God's sight. And he is perfectly fulfilling the plan that God has for him. Even though from Joseph's perspective, he just can't see it at this time. He just doesn't understand what is happening. 
And now again, he finds himself in prison. Now, they debate what type of prison this actually was. In our text, we will find that it's called a dungeon. And that seems to be consistent with the psalmist who writes concerning the chains in which Joseph found himself in. But at other places, it seems to indicate there were times where he was simply under house arrest. It could have mean that he was in various places during his imprisonment. But while in his imprisonment, he now has an appointment in prison. And unbeknownst to him, God's plan is unfolding perfectly. God is setting it up to not only bring Joseph to where Joseph ultimately is meant to be, but also to glorify himself in and through it all. And so we begin in verse 1 of chapter 40 together this morning. And it came to pass after these things that the butler and baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Paul reminds us very clearly in Romans 15.4 that the purpose of the Old Testament is twofold. Number one, it is there for our learning. And number two, through its patience and comfort of the uh, examples given to us within it, that patience, that comfort can lead us to hope. But again, we're looking at everything in hindsight. These things have already happened. It's already clearly demonstrated what God was going to do. But at the moment... I think we can all understand that Joseph was probably incredibly perplexed. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find myself in that exact same predicament. Wouldn't you just love for God to email you the plan? Every morning you come, you open your email, and there it is, the itinerary for the day. The itinerary for the year for your life. But in actuality, I think if we actually received it in that way, I think many of us would be taken back, frightened, pass out and faint, or maybe even have a heart attack, if we really understood what God was going to do. This is where faith and trust must come in on a day-to-day basis. Remembering what God has done for us in the past, reminding ourselves that what He has done in the past, He will be faithful to do in the present and in the future also. That with His promises comes the promise of His ability to fulfill all things that He has promised to us. And so as we look back at the life of Joseph, we learn from this, we understand and can identify with his perspective and also his perplexity, and we can also determine here that we often find ourselves in the same predicament. Sometimes we just don't see it. We don't understand what God is doing on a day-to-day basis. But then after a period of time, we look back and say, Oh, I see it now. 
I get it now. And undoubtedly, Joseph will see it also. In verse 4, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. Once again, Joseph finds himself in a place of authority. He's given the authority over the, the prison, as we found in the last chapter, in verses 22 and 23. And now Joseph, once again, is being put in charge of these two gentlemen, the butler and the baker. Now, the butler was actually the cupbearer to the king. Of course, this is the individual that would taste the food, sip the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned before the king consumed it. I don't know about you, but not a job I would personally like to have. But the Bible also tells us, and so does history, that the cupbearer and the king often had a very close and intimate relationship. We see that played out in the life of Nehemiah where Nehemiah had a really intimate relationship with the king to the point where the king noticed that Nehemiah was down and out one day and asked and inquired why, which led to, of course, the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. But something happened. We don't know what, but the cupbearer and the baker both found themselves in prison. I guess the pharaoh didn't like the muffins that day. I'm not sure. But now Joseph finds himself in charge of these two. And our story begins in verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them, in the morning, and looked at them and saw that they were sad. The word sad there in the Hebrew doesn't all just simply mean sad in the case of sorrow or sadness, but it also means fear, it also means worry, anxiety, etc., are all encompassed within this word that is used. They are troubled by the dreams in which they just had. Now, I don't know about you, but let's realize that it was two dreams that got Joseph in this predicament to begin with. And if I would have heard that these two had a dream both on the same night that left him in that way, I might be tempted to say, you know what? I did the whole dream thing. This is where it's got me. I'm in prison. And yet Joseph didn't react that way. He saw and understood that something unique may be happening here. Now, let's understand. Joseph finds himself in prison due to what happened with Potiphar's wife and falsely accused. These two, something had happened with Pharaoh. And they find themselves in the exact same prison as Joseph. Hmm, do you think that's a coincidence? Oh, how lucky Joseph was to find two people that had the ear of Pharaoh? Or was it a God appointment from the very beginning? And then while the butler and the baker are there, they just happen to have two separate dreams which require two separate interpretations. Wow, how lucky could Joseph have gotten, right? Now from Joseph's perspective, it would seem almost coincidental. And yet God is behind it all. 
This is where God chose to stage this appointment in the midst of a prison. This is where God brought these two together, these three together, Joseph and the butler and the baker who had Pharaoh's ear. And then God allows them a dream, each, that requires interpretation, and Joseph just happens to be there. In verse 7, So he asked Pharaoh's officers, that is Joseph asked, who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. (laughs) Again, when we read these things and understand how God works, we see the dynamic nature of the subtlety of God just bringing all of these factors together. Unbeknownst to Joseph, completely out of Joseph's control, brings these things together. And at this moment, isn't it interesting that instead of shying away from this opportunity, remembering that two dreams had brought him to where he is today, he takes this opportunity to introduce God to them and looks for the opportunity to show them the glory of God through God's ability to interpret dreams. Now, as we learned last week, let's remember that the Egyptians were incredibly superstitious people. And dreams were a vehicle in which they often looked to to understand communication or to receive revelation from their pagan gods. Dreams were incredibly special. Dreams were recorded. Dreams were remembered. Individuals were given the uh, office of interpreting dreams for the purpose of, again, the revelation from these pagan gods. And so Joseph is saying here, by using the word that he does, it's truly Yahweh. It is God, the God of all God, who can interpret these dreams. And takes the moment to care for these two men and to reveal to them the meaning of these dreams. Well, in verse 9, the chief butler goes first. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, it blossoms shot forth, And its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Now we have the dream. You know, I'm often asked as a pastor, Pastor, can you help me understand what my dream meant? And I say to No, I I can't. I can't tell if it's a revelation from God or the burrito that you just ate before you went to bed. I don't possess that ability. Does God still use dreams today? Well, according to Scripture, He does, but we must be very, very careful. 
whatever God may reveal to us in a dream will never, ever, ever contradict Scripture. Never. I don't care how personally tailored or specific that dream is, it will never contradict Scripture. In fact, I had an an experience myself. It only happened once in my 35 years of being a Christian. It happened early on in my Christian life where I continuously had a dream of an airplane crashing in a cornfield over and over and over and over again. Now, I was set to go to California from Chicago to attend a, a pastor's conference with my pastor. I was a, a layman at that moment. I was just simply serving in the church there as a Sunday school teacher. But he invited me to come with. And so I was going to fly out there with a, a gentleman I never met before. And the plane in the dream kept crashing. And again, it was a United Airlines DC-10 crashing in a cornfield over and over and over again. Well, I got scared. I didn't know what was going on. And I really became fearful. I shared it with my pastor. I said, I don't know what this means, but I continuously have this dream. But I did end up meeting this gentleman at the airport because we were flying American Airlines. And I'm like, okay. Well, maybe there's a chance, but a plane is a plane is a plane. I don't care what brand is on the side. They all go up to 35,000 feet, which is unnatural. And when you look down, it's, it's way down there. And so I'm like, all right, Lord, I I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm going to trust you. When I met the gentleman at the gate at the airport, I sat down next to him. I introduced myself to him, vice versa. And I could tell that there was something wrong. Well, he had dreams that this airplane was going to go down. And I'm like, okay. And so now we're debating in the waiting room if we should get on the plane or not. Is this God telling us not to get on the plane? And he was a much older believer in the Lord than I was. And he looked at me and he goes, what do you think we should do? I go, what are you asking me for? But we prayed. We got on the airplane. We flew out. It was a beautiful flight all the way across the country. As we were approaching Orange County, as we were getting ready to land, the buildings were getting bigger and we were flying into John Wayne Airport. And we were just about to touch down when all of a sudden the plane pulled back up. And next thing you know, we're flying over the ocean. And we're flying over the ocean and it appeared that he was emptying his fuel tanks. And we're like, okay, this can't be good. And then he finally, the pilot gets on the radio and says, our front landing gear isn't going down, so the airport is preparing the runway for a belly landing. I said, well, that's it. You know, I'm newly saved. God wants to take me home before I backslide or anything. And so this has got to be it. So I did what any good Christian did. I, I threw up a prayer, asked everybody around me if they were going to eat the carrot cake dessert that was left on their tray. You know, you might as well go out that way. Well, the plane came around again for an approach, and all of a sudden, the plane came in properly, the landing gear had come down, and we landed safely. But I still had that dream, and it was really bothering me. So after I returned from California, as I was working, 
uh, I went home for lunch, and my mom, and da- my mom was there, and she had the TV on, and she looked and said, oh my. And I walked in, I go, mom, what's wrong? And she goes, look, there was this a terrible plane crash. And I looked, and it was a United DC-10 in an Iowa cornfield. And I'm like, I had that dream. I called my friend. I said, Brian, I had this dream. And he goes, I know, I'm seeing it. I'm watching it. What is going on here? Well, lo and behold, a month or so later, we had a gentleman come out to our church to give his testimony, for he was a survivor of that airplane. And it's in Life magazine. There's a picture of me sitting in the front row in Life magazine. And he's giving his testimony, and I went up to him afterwards. I said, sir, I've never met you before, but i got to tell you, I had this dream about this airplane crashing. I thought it had to do with me, but apparently it, it, it had to do something completely different. And he smiled and he goes, do you know, you're the sixth person who said they've had this dream as I've been going around to various churches and they were all led to pray and I believe their prayers spared me from the plane crash. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I didn't pray. I threw up instead. (laughs) But it was an amazing experience. It's the only one that I've ever had that way. So God can use dreams. Of course, God can do anything, but let us be extremely careful. The first and foremost primary way that God communicates to us is through His Word. And any dream that someone may have, especially over the last couple of years, they have flooded YouTube with various individuals having various dreams on various different subjects, and most of them, if not all of them, did not come to pass. And then, of course, these individuals will take no responsibility. Oh, I didn't prophesy, I just predicted. You know, it's like, what dictionary are you reading from? You took all the credit for it initially, but then it finds out that you won't take any responsibility for it when it's wrong. But God does use dreams, especially in the Old Testament. Daniel, Jacob, Joseph the cupbearer and baker. So now Joseph gives the interpretation. And he says here in verse 12, And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place at his place of position or prominence, And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But, he says, remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house or prison. That's what he's saying here. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Joseph here shows his humanity. He doesn't see and get what God is doing. And asks the cupbearer, when you are released and you are brought before Pharaoh again, will you please remember me? Show me kindness by pleading my case to Pharaoh. Now, of course... 
we're going to discover that that's not what occurred, at least not initially. But here in this moment of humanity, we see that Joseph, like us, was just a mere man. And his perspective was limited. And he didn't understand why he was in the circumstance that he was. Now, I think all of us as people and individuals, we operate under an expectation that if we do good, we are rewarded and blessed. If we don't do so good, then we are, you know, uh, hindered and punished. Joseph did everything right, and yet he still found himself falsely accused and in prison. And he's asking the question now, please, will you help me get out of this situation? It's a moment where Joseph appears to look to the cupbearer, this man, to help him out of this circumstance, not knowing that God isn't completely finished with him there. You see, God wasn't only bringing Joseph to the prison for the purpose of this appointment, but also bringing Joseph to this prison for the purpose of preparation. God was preparing Joseph to become the man that God wanted Joseph to become. I don't know about you, but the humility in finding himself here would be astonishing. I did everything right, and yes, and yet I find myself here where I am today. And as a result, he is gaining the humility necessary, of course, to receive his family later on in our story. Instead of being vengeful or looking to vindicate himself, he accepts them and forgives them. I just gave the end of the story away. But I think we need to understand this, that when God saved you, he saved you with a purpose in mind. And before God works through us for that purpose, he always needs to first prepare us that we fulfill that purpose properly. It's a pattern that we see from Genesis to Revelation. It is something that we see clearly. And one of the elements that must be established with us if we are going to glorify God properly in our lives is humility. Joseph knows what it means now to be falsely accused. Joseph understands what it means to be in prison and to feel helpless. Joseph understands now from his experience that things don't always work out as you initially think that they will. And yet God is perfectly and beautifully working it all out for His ultimate glorification. It is interesting to me that Joseph is now able to interpret this individual's dreams and the baker's, but doesn't have the complete interpretation of the two dreams in which he was given. Oh, he was given the dream. He was given the dream twice. But he doesn't have the full knowledge of the completion of what that dream actually is going to uh, climax within. Meaning, he's not, he doesn't see how it's all going to play out. This is where faith comes into play. We know that God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. He often doesn't tell us what that complete plan is. But as we walk with Him day by day, as we trust Him day by day, He leads and guides us into that as we lay ourselves down before Him a living sacrifice, 
praying, not my will, but your will be done, Lord, in and through my life, we find providentially that we are exactly where God would want us at this given moment. So in this moment of humility, as one wrote, he said, Joseph was putting his trust in what a man can do instead of depending on what God could do. He was getting impatient instead of waiting on God for God's timing. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 146.3, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, a person, in whom there is no help. The psalmist went on later in that same chapter. He says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. This is what Joseph was learning in and through all of this. But there was another who also had a dream and was hoping for an interpretation. Notice with me in verse 16. Now when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, hey, it played out pretty good for the other guy. He said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Again, these dreams, right? Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that God gives us the interpretation. Because we could come to all different conclusions if we didn't have them. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. Now again, the three baskets represent three days. And the baker's like, oh, just three more days and I'm getting out of here. Well, kind of. Verse 20, uh, verse 19. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift uh, off your head. No, no, you mean lift up my head, right? Just like the butler. No, no. You're going to lose your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. You know, you got to give it to Joseph for telling the guy the truth, right? Can you imagine, Joseph? Lord, you want me to go with that? Really? Isn't there another way we could go here? Isn't there something better I could tell him? Well, we're just not too sure about this one baker. He's a goner, you know. But in his integrity, he was true to the Lord, glorified him by telling the baker what he needed to hear. Again, when you look at it from the perspective of preparation, you see that not only did Joseph have compassion on these two men, even though he was in a precarious position, he comforted one of them with the interpretation that God gave him, and then he told the other one the truth in integrity, even though it was not what that person wanted to hear. What an example for us. You know, again, 
it would be so easy for Joseph just to be wrapped up in his own life and his own affairs and be wallowing in sorrow, pity for himself, etc. because he finds himself in this place and yet he still is looking to bless others in whatever way he can. And then it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all the servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief uh, baker. Now, the term hanging there means he impaled him on a pole. This was common in Egypt. This is the way executions were carried out. They were beheaded first, then they were hung on a pole. Joseph had interpreted to them, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. One wrote, he said, No matter how bad our circumstances are, God wants us to learn from them. He wants us to learn to care for others and to be kind to them, even while we are suffering and hurting. We are to be concerned for others, even while we are suffering and walking through the trials of life ourselves. The other one wrote, he said, Concerning this chapter, he said, The one thing above all that God wants us to learn is to trust Him in every moment, at every time of every day. When trials and severe suffering strikes us, we should turn to God and trust Him. This is the very thing He wants. He wants to help and strengthen us, to enable us to go through life. God wants to us to take our circumstances and use them for good. He wants us to learn through the bad things that happen to us, to learn to trust Him more and more and more and depend on Him each and every day. You know, it's hard to walk away from this chapter and not remember these words of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And notice the contrast within these verses. For my thoughts concerning, that is, God's thoughts, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The moment we can grasp that verse... And realize that our perspective is limited. Certainly limited into the comparison of God's perspective upon us within the circumstance that we find ourselves. And as a result, from that limited perspective, is it truly logical to draw conclusions concerning God, myself, and even the weight of these circumstances without considering God's perspective. At the end of the day, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. 
But even though the cupbearer once again returned to his position of prominence before Pharaoh and appeared to have forgotten Joseph, the next chapter will tell us that two more years go by with Joseph in incarceration. And though the cupbearer forgot him, Joseph could conclude, well, if he forgot me, then maybe God has forgotten me also. And yet, we will discover, no, the Lord didn't forget Joseph at all, but was waiting in his perfect timing to bring Joseph to a place prepared to glorify God in a way so uniquely that not only would God be glorified there in Egypt, but Joseph would be promoted to a position and place that he could have never, ever imagined being. This is the incredible, majestic way in which our God works. And truly, within the life of Joseph, these words are truly fulfilled. Let me read them again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts.